Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I think that because I've never really been one for marketing and if I've got a lot of hits in Europe and a lot of, uh, of recognition in Latin America and because this project is geared toward Canada, I can't really tell you, but what I do want and I hope what and I will continue to do with this project is that it hears on the right ears. And those are the key players here in the Canadian uh, music industry. They need to recognize that this project is uh, massive and it's something that I believe is historic in our in our whole uh, timeline of music industry in Canada. It's something that's going to change it. And we're back to the Neil Haley show and I'm excited to welcome my co-host celebrity author David Hollenbach. David, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Our guest is three-time Latin Grammy Canadian winner, Ben Anthony Lavas. Uh, ben, yeah. how are you, Ben Anthony? Thanks for uh, coming on. Oh, um, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's been very, very, it's been a very busy uh, week, but uh, that's to be expected before any album release. Uh, so just the way it goes. So let's talk about, did you always want to be a musician? Was that something growing up you wanted to be a performer? So music's just always followed me. I mean, anything that I've ever done, I've done it to my greatest capacity. But uh, no matter how good the opportunity was, music just always found a way to just, you know, poke there. And then, you know, I had to give in. I had to give in. And so uh, it's something, it's more of a calling than anything. And I think with this album, it's more also of a message. And it's uh, very important here in Canada. It's a very important message here in Canada for the Latino culture. So it's a calling. Absolutely. Go ahead, David. Any questions you just start asking Ben Anthony? Yeah, I think the, the name of the album is pretty cool. And if we could dig into that, um, like where that comes from, uh, it's, and forgive me if I butcher this, uh, Aunque Me Mate. Yeah. Aunque me mate, you got it perfect. It means even if it kills me. Um, you know, I, I've been in this game since I was a teenager. And at that point, reggaeton, which is now something that we consider pop, you know, we hear it through our radio stations. It wasn't like that. It was a very, it's a very street genre. And um, from there, when I got into it, uh, it, it evolved. It evolved into something like we know today popular, but it was, it was, it was, um, it was a very nasty scene, to say the least, especially here in Canada. Lots of uh, street, you know, negative stuff, not not to get in too much into it. But um, now we're starting to see with the popularity of this music, we see once again the Canadian music industry uh, back backwards, right? So what's 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 the issue here is that we have the Junos playing in the, in the halftime, you know, between commercial segments, Shakira, Bad Bunny, J Balvin, all this Spanish music, or we have some English artists that are having the reggaeton beat behind them. They're getting nominated, but the actual Canadian Latin artists are being left out. So what's going to go on here? We got to, I got to push and I got to put this music higher and I'm going to make sure that we start getting the recognition that's deserved. And that's getting a Latin category here in Canada, the Junos, everything else I've touched. And that's just the last, uh, frontier that I'm, I'm ready to tackle uh, even if it kills me aunque me mate is your music reggaeton music ben anthony uh, it, it was before and going into this album um 
I shied away from it for two reasons. One, um, reggaeton is sold out. Now they're moving more into the trap, which is even more urban. It's it's it's, it's having those negative messages being a, pers a pursuit and uh, given out to the public. Uh, I decided to go to the traditional roots. Every single one of these songs has been composed by me and uh, include live musician bands. Do they still have the timing of the urban artists? Yes, they do, which is something very, very unique. But not only does it challenge what the Canadian music industry is doing, it also challenges the Latin music that's being uh, produced in Latin America and the United States, where I'm shying away from what's urban. And I'm giving the messages and I'm also bringing the power back to the artists. I'm here telling you my story with my musicians, and my compos my compositions and my arrangements. So it's, uh, it's a pretty heavy uh, project and it's shied away from reggaeton. Reggaeton's in, in the computer. Everything's in the screen. This is not. This is in studio. This is live. This is my life. This is my creation. This is for you guys. So what is your favorite song off of this album? And then for those listening that this is their introduction to Ben Anthony, what is some, what's a, uh, a prior song that would be a good introduction to your sound? You see, this album, and I, you know, I kid you not, I, I've never been one for marketing, and I never will be one for marketing, because at the end of the day, I'm giving all my energy into the creation of these of these songs. So every song to me is like a baby, and I can't say one's better than the other. And I've been so eclectic, and I've been, you know, doing music in reggaeton, I've done rap, I've done uh, cumbia, I've done some traditional stuff. I can't tell you that there is a, a song, Mercedes, there's a song that's going to be the best, but I will tell you that if you take the time to listen to this album in its entirety, you are going to hear what is a musical, uh, it's a musical composition in its entirety. You'll hear what the, uh, what what's, what's maintains the same in this album. And it's just, it's out of this world. It's something that's never been done. And I, and I know maybe a lot of artists say that, but I can guarantee you in the, in the Latin music, uh, this is something you've never heard. And there's not one that's my favorite. They're all my favorite. They all have my heart. And I've uh, tooth and nail fought to make sure that they all get produced properly. And, and, just... and then and what, based on not being reggaeton, not being some of the other stuff you have, what will be the play on this? I know now, because you can tell us how music works nowadays. Like, where would a lot of airplay you're going to get this music once it's out? Where would it be? Well, so I, I've gone all routes in uh, in marketing. Uh, I brought in a couple of key players. Let's see what uh, Sasha Stoltz can bring. You know, she uh, she's uh, known. She's, she's known here in Toronto and a different scene. I have some of the key players in, in, in Toronto that are uh, that are part of the Latin community, but I want them to strive a little higher. Um, I think that because I've never really been one for marketing and if I've got a lot of hits in Europe and a lot of, uh, of recognition in Latin America and because this project is geared toward Canada, I can't really tell you, but what I do want and I hope what and I will continue to do with this project is that it hears on the right ears. And those are the key players here in the Canadian uh, music industry. They need to recognize that this project is uh, massive and it's something that I believe is historic in our, in our whole uh, timeline of music industry in Canada. It's something that's going to change it, and and it needs to fall on the right ears. I'm not about streaming platform. I'm I'm not about that stuff. But it needs to hear on the proper ears of the people in the music industry, and they need to make a change. It's time for Latin music, La Canadian Latin music artists, to be recognized, and and this is going to do it. One of the things that I read is that on on this album, this is, um, uh, you use this to promote 
some more of the uh, traditional methods of of composing Latin music. What does that What does that mean to you? Well, that's that's what I was I was telling you about the reggaeton and the trap. I mean, for me, it's it's sure when reggaeton started, it had its melodies and it stayed true to the traditional ways of making music, which. One of them is that most Latino music isn't on the fours and like one, two, three, four. We actually play on something that's called the clavis. Like, mm, 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 mm. It's what's known as Afro beats to uh, most North mm. Americans, especially here in Canada. That's a clave. It comes from Africa. So most of our music is composed on that. Now, what's cool about the clave, it's Afro beats. It's, a, it's actually what they use for salsa music. Now, the Latinos were never lazy with it. And uh, sometimes you don't even hear the cloud. It's silence. It's on all the other instruments around. And now what I find in today's music, especially reggaeton and the trap that's coming out, it basically just sounds like the urban music that's being spewed out on, you know, your, your radio stations. And they just basically translate into Spanish. There's nothing, cre there's nothing over the edge creative to it. And there's no uh, authenticity to it. So what I've done is I've created... Uh, well, I, I've included real life musicians and I've put the timings, especially with the music, onto the clave. And it just changes uh, changes everything. That's what it means to be traditional. Also, when it comes to the uh, the meaning of the song, right? I'm not trying to sound like nobody. I'm not trying to say what, you know, the countless producers have told me I need to sound like, especially those in Canada that are just dying to sound like the next Bad Bunny coming out of Puerto Rico or, you know, New York. This is my story. These are my feelings. This is my transmission from the higher up. And this is the way the Latin music is made. It comes from the artist, the singer, and then it's up to the musicians to compose that. And on different timings, always switching it up. If you listen to a song that's so popular now, you have what, max four four changes of the song, if you're lucky. But some of my songs are having like eight changes in there. And that's what keeps things interesting. And that's what I mean by traditional ways. It's uh, shying away from the laziness and creating something out of the, the screen. You know, something that's real life. Music is life. So my question to you then is that you probably are the only one that could do this, right? Having three Grammys gives you some street cred to do something like this and to really try to put uh, a Latin music on the map in Canada. That's what your, your goal is. So basically you can finally do this because of who you are, right? To be the yeah. person to do it. I'm glad, you know, coming down here, shooting down to come to this uh, interview, I was just thinking that because I was like, I, you know, entry after entry, I'm saying the same thing, but it dawned on me and I was like, is it maybe that I'm getting older and I'm like, oh, the new music isn't quite like when I was your age, you know, and, and but it's not that it's it's literally that basically I'm sticking true to the roots. And you're right. The my past with the street cuts get, allows me the opportunity to have the right ears and a new generation that's prevalent listen to me and say, hey, this is re relevant, but it still has that sound. Like you listen to a Mark Anthony, right? You're, you're, you're getting a salsa, you know, there's, there's no denying that. But you're right, with my past, it puts me in a unique position that that is going to change the, the whole Latin music industry. And, and I'm going to be proud to say that it comes out of Canada. I think it's one of the final frontiers that Latin music has not, and the Latin culture for that matter, hasn't uh, executed. And it's weird with the Latin culture. If you see it, you know, you go to Jack Astor's, you order, you see there's so much uh, Latin influence in our food and our songs and our daily lives, but it's not uh, adopted as as our Latin culture. So it's time that we reclaim what's ours. I mean, every, this is a multicultural country and every culture has a right to what it, uh, it, it does to create a, a beautiful multicultural city, country. And ours is music. Definitely with the different people that have blown up in Canada, right? That this is the opportunity, right? 
Well, you know, you have, you know, every, you have different cultures uh, thriving in, in different things, the housing market and, uh, you know, opening different stores and the condos, construction. And, you know, uh, you know, in the States, you see Latinos are hard workers. Uh, you know, we don't mind getting our hands dirty. But what keeps us motivated is our music. And I feel that uh, my people aren't having that representation here from somebody that's from Canada that can say, hey, man, it's worth staying here in Canada. There's life here. And we live that through our music. It's our way of communication. It's our way of feeling. It's our way of maintaining happy and not taking life so serious. Yeah, David. Nice. No, I'm still stuck on uh, the statement about uh, the Latin influence on the food there in Canada. Because the yeah. only thing that comes to my mind with Canadian food is like gravy on French fries, you know? Yeah, French fries. Well, you know, you go to Jackass. I mean, any any fast food place you go, you're going to have your quesadillas. You know, you're going to have your chipotle sauce. You're going to have your wraps, tortillas, you know, you know your tacos. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just... It just boggles the mind that it's not like we don't have enough Mexican restaurants, in my opinion, here or Latino restaurants, or if they are, they're hidden. Yet, mm. you know, it's our food is there. Our, our culture is here. If you cross the border right to the States, it's a whole different world. And I don't want to sound like an invasive species, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of good things that our culture can bring and, and kind of balance a lot of what's going on in our uh, in our country city. I have a friend of mine who owns a business in Canada and talks about flat out how hard it is even to go across the border to the U.S. still, even with because of COVID, it's, which is crazy. So you basically are like on an island, even though Canada is not an island. You know what I mean? You're on, a, you're on an island and it's kind of history back to Latin America being on an island, right? Exactly. <laughs> now you are on an island in Canada. The Latinas, Latinos in Canada and Latinx, it's just crazy. Now, what do you think is why reggaeton, even though you're saying now where it's going, it went mainstream. What do you think led reggaeton to mainstream? Who did it? Who kind of put that out there? Because, you know, it's all about a movement. It's all it's all numbers, right? It's all numbers. And, uh, you know, you're selling enough. You know, you're going to have these big corporations, these labels. They're gonna they're gonna pay it out just to have the rights to that sort of music to to uh, flood the airwaves and to have the royalties and have the rights to that and uh, these artists obviously are gonna sell they you know like I said this was street music so however big these uh, contracts were is a, is a blessing it's what ultimately we work for right and and then it's it's the responsibility of the new artists to keep things uh different relevant you know too many people copying 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 and not enough of these artists that are uh, you know pushing the boundaries so what happened was the numbers of latin music just 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 soared the the reggaeton just soared and it was just mainstream so now unfortunately you hear reggaeton and it's a lot of it's they're just uh old pop songs or, or rap songs that they kind of do uh they do in a spanish twist like informer uh you know they took a snow a friend of mine here in toronto uh made it really really big with daddy yankee toured the world doing that but that's what it is, just the numbers. And once you get up there, the labels are hungry for it and they'll cut your distribution deals and whatnot, a tour deal. They push you, you make money. And that just kind of, uh, I think when a genre sells out, it uh, it actually kind of kills it. It's like the end, right? Hmm. And now we're on to trap, which is too urban. So it's time to kick things back into and Trap's a mixture of uh, of reggaeton and and what else is the mixture of? Oh, no, rap is a, like a hip-hop thing. That's evolution from rap, hip-hop. 
you know, that's the... What about EDM? Is EDM part of that, too? Uh, uh, EDM, EDM is more house music, more stuff you hear in clubs. Trap is, uh, you know, your Tory Lanes, uh, your Travis Scott's, your, uh, I don't know, uh, I guess Drake would, would touch on it. But it's just more of a street. And now they're even onto drill, which is really, uh, it's really hard. It's a UK drill. But that's not Latin. It's not Latin. They just... Now, after the reggaeton, they're kind of just jumping on the bandwagon. They're like, oh, okay, might as well go on the track. doesn't sound bad. So that's what Bad Bunny does. He's done very well with it, but it's starting to get a little boring. Do you think that, what did Bad Bunny do to get, to become a big star to this level now with WWE and everything? And, you know, who do you think made his brand blow up? Well, so that that was the thing that he was the answer to reggaeton selling out. He kept it hard in the beginning, believe it or not. Like his music was pretty... You know, uh, it uh, it it promoted street stuff, right? And so once reggaeton sold out, your Daddy Yankees, which did Gasolina, your Whiskey and Dells, they're all you know mainstream. They're sellouts, not in a bad way. I'm not judging. You know, he was the answer for the uh, younger generation to kind of hop on and feel something. You know, strength. It's uh, it's really it's really important in the Latin culture that they feel strong. It's a machismo thing. You know, we stop. We haven't killed that off yet in our culture. <laughs> Okay. All right, David, you have one more question for Ben Anthony before we left him, let him go. Yeah, so your your album is dropping on the 23rd. Do you see a, a tour? Are you going to be touring this album uh, yeah. around the world? Yeah, the 23rd is out. Um, I've uh, got all the funding. The event is free for those who want to come. I'll be watching and uh, uh, it's going to be a revival. I was lucky enough to get to get the, the space uh we have a, a lot of key players in the latin industry there it drops there and as soon as it drops the next morning i'm off to san francisco but and i start a whole tier, tour i go from there and then i have to go to new york medellin all, all latin america they, they they consume me so well if it wasn't for that i wouldn't be able to maintain myself but i was telling uh i was telling the boss which i was on the interview earlier today it's 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 so weird i i I go over there. No, let's. I start here, and it's like, hey, I want to go on. Let's just say breakfast television. I you know, see it every morning, and everybody, the publicist, and like, you're not big enough. You know, you can't get there. So, you know, the big roundabout. You got to go this way. Okay, whatever. But as soon as I cross that border or go into my countries, I'm on the biggest television networks. I'm on the biggest stages. They love and absorb me, and it's not a big deal. And there's no politics to it. There's no, uh, you know. That we call it, uh, we call it playero. But uh, anyways, it's just it's so much smoother running, and there's so much more to gain. But I, I, I'm now determined, and I'm stubborn. I'm gonna get our music here in Canada, and hopefully, the way that we conduct ourselves can have an influence in the Canadian music industry. It's an entire. Sometimes it's like, well, who's running this show? It's just like a whole bunch of like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, nice. it's all that, but it's interesting you said this. You go to another country, you're a rock star, which you know me saying in that way. But you know, you're you're in this uh, like huge, huge star. Why don't you want to stay in those countries? Is it more that your thought process is that you want to become the, that type of star all over the world? Is that a dream of yours, or is that something that you would love to happen? to get to that level or especially your way or you were happy with the stardom you, you the success you've already had well uh like let me tell you i i was if it wasn't for the pandemic it's a curse and a blessing right everyone has their story about it but i was on my way out you're right i was exactly what you just said why why be here 
getting stuck here and I try to get out very many ways. I even try to see if I can get a yacht to get out. It was crazy stuff anyways. Um, getting stuck here, I really, really realized the the need for this um for this market to explode here for various for various reasons. And uh, and then just being told no and being judged in, in different ways, not nothing too harsh, but being judged as as in I felt being myself latin fun flair you know you know everyone's like no you have to do this you have to be like this if you do that you're never gonna make it or you know two years of that i was like you know what at this point i'm gonna make it a point and i'm here and i see that uh, canada needs that flair and it needs a latino artist to call their own and hopefully um we can kind of just spice some things up i i, I think you can if you're motivated to do it you're gonna be able to do it best place to find info on you ben anthony where can they go ben anthony lovos it's all uniform everywhere. Go check it out. And, um, you know, you won't be disappointed with this album. Be part of the movement. The time is now. It's uh, very seldom that uh, people can be part of something that's about to explode like this big, right? I know it is. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And you've already achieved so much, you'll continue to achieve. Thanks again for taking the time, man. No, no problem. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show and my guest today. And, you know, it's really exciting. I was talking locally to my local TV station again in Pittsburgh. Uh, shout out to Pittsburgh again and me in Dallas now. But my guest today is doing such great work, but she's really building this out nationally as her next event. Vaso Polioris is with us again. She is the executive director of Lending Hearts and founder. How are you, Vaso? I appreciate you coming by. And wouldn't you agree? It's like now we're really looking at this not just as a local foundation but a national foundation for what's happening now it's got to feel great it is thank you for having me back you know, we always wondered how could we expand our services and uh, to be honest covid answered it for us so um i i guess one of the uh the positives that we we took from that experience yeah exactly and we talked about the growth especially of the event where you were honoring Mr. Cam Hayward, and we talked about that, and we talked about specific things with Dr. Charles Simkich. But now I want to go to this next event coming up and how exciting this is going to be on May 20th, and you're going to be honored. So I kind of just talked about it just a little bit, but now you're going to be honored at this event, and it's going to be a really interesting event in California. So tell us about it. The Open Hearts Foundation is uh, giving me the great honor and distinction of presenting me with the Open Hearts Award. Uh, so this is really uh, nothing I ever would have dreamed of. <laughs> you know, Vaso in Pittsburgh? No, that's that's odd to me. But uh, it, very, very humbled and honored to be receiving this. And when you think about it, how did that like happen? So you've been doing such great work and then you heard you're going to be honored. It's got to feel fantastic. And then it's like, wow, this is an event that's part of our Lending Hearts thing because I'm going to be honored to really bring awareness to what this event brings. So tell us a little bit more about the event. Well, uh, it is actually two days. Uh, the first day is at the home of actress, uh, artist, philanthropist, Jane Seymour. And uh, that'll be a more uh, private, intimate gathering is my understanding. And on Saturday, the 20th is the the main gala itself at the Calamagus Ranch in the Malibu Mountains. So um, that will be a, a really wonderful event that we'll have the opportunity to share more about what we're doing and and really how our mission fits in with the, the mission of the Open Hearts Foundation. 
So let's learn a bit about the Open Hearts Foundation because I'm intrigued by it because you know what you're doing with cancer patients is phenomenal. And I guess it, it's interesting you talk about lending hearts, you're lending hearts. Well, how, what does the Open Hearts Foundation do? I know it's uh, hearts, hearts, who would have yeah. thought? But uh, actress Jane Seymour, I, I, I know I won't be able to paraphrase it well enough, but it was the inspiration of her mother. And pretty much what she would say was when you're faced with adversity, you, um, everybody's faced with something and you open your heart up to them and uh, show your support. And, um, you know, everybody's in a time of need at some point. And, and how can we help others through, through that adversity that they're experiencing? And it really does fit in with lending hearts with this time of need and beyond. How can we be there for you. And in our case, we, we lend our hearts to you and, and we're there to uh, provide that emotional and social support. So it's almost like you're aligned with the same mission almost in a way. Well, who would have ever thought? <laughs> I, hers is, of course, much more broad and, and she helps uh, so many wonderful causes and and groups and, uh, and we're on the oncology side of things. But when our two organizations came together and, and really saw it, it just... It made so much sense. It definitely seems like it makes sense in, in so many ways. And so they're helping. What types of causes do they help? They're, they're uh, they've they really opened up an emergency relief campaign during COVID, where they were helping so many organizations from food banks and other uh, needs that were uh, a lot in the California region. I, I think maybe we were the furthest reaching one being based in Pittsburgh and, um, and, and spreading their opportunity to help so many during that time. And now they're, they're going back to how their foundation and their gala in particular were based. And, and so they're, um, they're, they're staying on the, less of the emergency relief, I understand, and more on the, the grants and the mission in providing support in that way, because her gala was always a means of supporting different organizations through uh, various individuals out there that she was aware of. And that's in that, and that's whatever different ones. And did they ever say how they found you? Do you have a story about that? How they were there, able to... there is a little bit of a story. It's, uh, you know, it's that's, always... a, that's the Pittsburgh thing. We got to have a story. Come on. There... <laughs> There always is a story. She came to my understanding of how we were connected was she came to Pittsburgh visiting and she went to tour the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, where Andy Warhol was from. And uh, over the years, uh, I've developed a wonderful relationship with the, the Warhola who was Andy's uh, actual last name family. Donald Warhola is um, a part of the museum. The, the Andy Warhol Foundation has the, the family seat. And, and so as he was touring them, he, he brought up, hey, do you know Basel with Lending Hearts? And, and it kind of just was there. And he had told me at the time, he said, well, if you ever hear from these folks, and many months had gone by, and then out of the blue, um, things started coming up like that was into the next year. So it was, it's funny how things come about. So, uh, yes, thanks to Donald. You have to go ahead and plant a seed. And then when they're looking to honor people and opportunities, someone will come to mind and it's the work you're doing. 
So lending hearts continues to be busy after May. It's not over, right? There's a lot more oh, to goodness. do, right? So what other no, events no. are coming up after that? We're, we're always busy. We, um, it, it's a wonderful time. I was uh, just talking with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We have some wonderful things coming up with our families that we're going to be doing with them uh, from our own, um, I guess, organizational standpoint. You know, you've got to have a golf outing. I, I don't know. There seems to be some unwritten rule somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in the fall, we're, we're, we're nonstop, whether it's events with the families, events for the organization and support of the organization, uh, you name it, we, we keep going. And it's, it's wonderful. It's such a, uh, it's a gift to me. I mean, I, this, this came about because I needed to give back for all the blessings bestowed upon my family. But, uh, you know, what I have received is, is, is just insane because uh, uh, every family, every family has their own special place uh, within me and always on my mind. You, you, it really is a, a family format. Everybody looks out for one another and um, it's, it's truly a gift. It truly is. So people can go to your website and that's where you're going to be able to find all the next events coming up because you're just basically, basically, one on the next and we all know foundations constantly need help and the best play is to go to lending hearts right so your website again is lendinghearts.org thank Lending. you yes the, everything is right there lendinghearts.org go to lendinghearts.org check out the great work you're doing and by having constantly bringing events having the community especially of pittsburgh do you think from this experience you have some national exposure are you? Do you have some major goals to go more national in moving into twenty? Well, we do. Prog uh, so much of our program is virtual, so it is. We have patients around the country who participate with us. Uh, so uh, that has been expanding over the years, and that has also been uh, with thanks to uh, foundations like the Open Hearts Foundation, who have provided us grants to to offer nationwide services. Uh, physically in-person experiences, uh, we we are expanding that starting in July, broadening out along uh, Western Pennsylvania, so and into Ohio. So we're very very fortunate for all of this expansion. So whether it's in a virtual sense, in a physical sense, uh, we're here for everybody. Do you see national events coming? Uh, you know, this is again just you being honored, but do you see you're doing events maybe in major metropolitan cities down the line? Like you're talking that about would be New a, York, Los that Angeles, would be a Dallas, just so you can start to really branch out. And what do you think the major challenges of getting other hospitals to be involved in what you give in the grants? Is that a challenge to, to make those connections? I work with some other foundations, one of my clients. Is, is helping pregnant women that are in need across the country. And we're just starting that process and that foundation. What do you think those major challenges are to get the word out? Especially I think always an awareness perspective. Um, you know, everything we offer is free of charge and it's for the entire family, whether it's the, the patient, the caregiver, however it might be. Um, you know, the ages of the patients are pediatric, young adult, young adult goes up to 39, 40 years old, but it really doesn't stop because somebody who's in remission and they were, it really is a long-term process. It doesn't stop when you ring the bell, unfortunately, and that's where the support continues to need to be given, but really uh, getting others to know this is 
why we're here and what we're offering and and why we do it. So it, it's really that awareness and the understanding of who we are and what we're doing. And and yes, we want everybody to know because we don't want anybody left out. That's the pop, you're right. And that's where I'm coming in as the media giant to figure out ideas, how we can continue to make this more of a national movement. Again, Pittsburgh is a special place. We all know it for the, the, the amazing, successful people that have come from Pittsburgh to go other places all over the country. And there is a Pittsburgh Steeler, Pittsburgh Pirate, anything Pittsburgh, everywhere in the United States. Well, we need to have lending hearts, helping cancer patients and their families every hospital in the country and that's got to be a goal so it's a national organization that will be continue and i think by you being honored it's going to bring awareness in california and it's going to keep on going so go to lendinghearts.org connect with vaso on social media especially on linkedin and follow them on linkedin and just check out all the amazing things you're doing and working with organizations and we appreciate you stopping by thank you neil i really appreciate your time and, and sharing our messaging I'm glad to bring, continue to bring that awareness in Pittsburgh and all over the country. And for you to go global as what you're doing is fantastic. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, and we're syndicating it on his network, Smarter Than I, the day as well, Cowboy347, Damon Harbour. Damon, what's up, man? And I know you're excited about our guest. Oh, man, what's up, man? I'm super excited to be here, and I am on purpose. Yes, Lord. Oh, yes, no doubt. And and I'm excited He as a director, and he's directed one of Bruce Willis's final films. I'm excited to welcome Jared Cohn to the program. We're going to talk about Vendetta and much, much more. Jared, thanks for stopping by, man. And I always talk to directors. And the first thing I think about when I talk to a director is the difference between a director and a producer. And I love getting this kind of uh, defining the two. And, you know, and, and people don't understand that sometimes the director is just given this uh, this script, given all these things, and I'll now make it look perfect, while a producer is someone who has the idea and, and produces it in two different ways. If it's an executive producer, it's their idea. If it's a regular producer, they're producing the final product. But can I define the difference between a director and producer? I'm sure when yeah. you talk to people on the streets, they say something different, right? You know, if you ask a thousand different people that question, you'll probably get uh, 1,200 different answers. Uh, it's overlapping and, and and usually usually starting from the top the executive producer usually is the money guy who hires the producer to basically do everything but the director is sort of a it's like the only person hired uh, hired either by the producer or the executive producer but every everyone else the produce like the movie crew is hired by the 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 producer and and the but the cast the actual actors um is hired usually by an executive producer or a financer because that that's the uh how they're going to get their in, in investment back so it's so complicated you know the uh and and, and there's a co-producer there's an associate producer so, executive producer <laughs> there's really no answer it, it, it's it's yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I the, the movie, the, the TV show Entourage, 
I'm sure you watched it, you know, on HBO and all that. When the directors are the crazy ones, right? And I'm not, I'm not going to ask you your kind of difference because remember how they were trying to land certain directors for certain films in that in, in Entourage, and you know, at their party and they're doing these different things, and then once they get on set, they're focused and it's like their baby. But if they're anywhere else, they're just having fun being no, creative. Me. That's yeah, you. No, I'm, 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 I'm a whack job. I'm total. I'm a total like. No, case, but put me on a set and I have a focus and I can do, I can do that job. I can create and, and, and I see things clearly, but yeah, I mean, I, I could, I'm the type of guy that could, uh, that cooks a salad, you know, burns a salad. But that's okay because you have your super genius, but go ahead, Cowboy, with your question for, for Jared. Man, um, first of all, I just want to say, man, it's an honor to be here with you, Jared. Uh, being in a Thank moment you. of history when one of our greatest stars is now retiring uh, being Bruce Willis and you partook in one of his last movies of his great catalog. Uh, I got to ask you before we dive into the complimentary aspect of your phenomenal project that you have to promote, what is it um, that you took in the most from working with uh, Bruce Willis um, that brought, that brought, brought about self gratification, you know, um, in yeah. your career to be, to witness that. Yeah. I mean, to have when I mean, just by having that a person of that caliber physically like on the set, it what happens is everybody around them like raises their level up because the, because they know that this guy was on you know he's gone Tar star Tarantino movie so the experience it's almost like a feeling it's 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 not necessarily something they don't have to do anything they just stand there and and their presence alone raises the bar because nobody wants to look like an idiot in front of Bruce Willis. No, but nobody wants to like right. get online or, you know, have a camera shot out of focus. So right. everyone's like, so that experience, I'll, yeah, I'll never forget that. It's like almost when, uh, you know, the kids are talking in the classroom being loud and then the teacher walks in. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And so, and that was one of them. And what, when you got to work with him, did you know that if he was going through what he was going through, Jared? No, no. I uh, um, found out, you know, after like, uh, like everybody uh, else, but um, yeah, I wouldn't have. Wow. You know, said, well, yeah, there's something going on. Like, I, no, he came in. <laughs> I mean, he, wow. he, and, he, and he, and he did a great, you know, job and, and, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. You never know. Well, you never, never know, know what somebody's going through. Uh, and I hope. Yeah, I just really hope he's okay. I mean, um, and I don't. I I don't know any other details that you know. But yeah, craziness. In in regards to your journey, um, in filmmaking and in your journey in Hollywood, like to to put yourself in a position to to you know, meet these creatives in this space to help, you know, uh, touch the world, right? Uh, what was some things that was the, what was the most prevalent uh, or rewarding uh, um, ingredients that you attained, right? From good and bad experiences in Hollywood that you feel, you know, made you mature enough to handle the responsibility to meet stars like DMX, you know, Mike Tyson and, and Bruce Willis, William Shatner. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. Um, you know, just, I've been doing, it's, it's crazy because I've been doing this for over 20, you know, over 
point a year. So my entire youth, you know, right after high school, I came moved to LA with and, and, and big stars in my eyes. You know, first trying to be an actor, and then that didn't really work out. So I became, you know, switched to filmmaking, and 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 just of that that journey of years and years and years, it really it taught me and pretty much it defined me, kind of who I, I every you know who I am, and and, and I didn't know I had such the ability to uh, i guess persevere when you know, it's just like you if i step back and i'm like damn i can't believe i you know i went through all i did all that and 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 look at it I, to be able to look at it differently so it teaches it, it taught me everything but 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 at the same time i don't know anything else you know i could have went wow. and become a a teacher or something right. and, and i'd be a different person i maybe i would have very little uh you know great in me and, and and would fold like a, a lawn chair. I don't, you know, just be, it, this town just this town beats you up. The industry like right. so brutal, right? It is especially the way funding is now and how difficult it is to make a film and all that. And one thing that we didn't bring up is you're an actor too, so you have a different mindset as a director because you were acting for so many years and yeah. while acting in horror movies. I was looking at you know who you've worked with. You know, Robert Carradine's been on my show. You can go back to what listen to one of the interviews he when he was doing one of the things with the the West. I'm looking at your thing now. David Chokichi was on my show as well. So uh, there's certain people I've run into just you know in radio interviews I've interviewed. But the thing that you bring to the table is how many directors have really been an actor, a professional actor. You know, has worked so many acting gigs that kind of makes it a little different relationship on set. Versus a director that really never act, acted. Yeah, yeah, no, it, ah, man, I, I would probably suck as a director if I didn't start as an actor. Like, I just don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And I see a lot. I mean, I see, uh, you know, some directors that I've, I've had that out of movies that I've acted in. You know, having some, and, and, and the way they approach things, it's so, it's so. I'm not saying bad because I don't want to say someone else's directing style is bad, but I, 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 I've seen the experience of having the, you know, a, talking to other actors as an actor after a director gives, mm. you know, their blocking instructions and you're just like very confused. Like, you're just like, I think he wants me to, or she or she wants me to come in here. And like, there's a, a little bit of uncertainty. So I think having that acting background is, was, paramount yeah it was just like okay now i know i can I, I i'm an actor i know how to talk to actors because talking to actors about how to act in a scene i mean think about that it's very abstract it's a very right. weird thing like uh so yeah uh, i'll definitely say it helped uh, to what extent uh you know uh, I, don't, I don't know because it's so much over overlap <laughs> so your your mind has got to be when they say the mind is the most complex instrument in the universe. There's got to be like your mind has got to be on overload because you've this this longevity thing is like consistency is a part of greatness. Um, I would say for as long as you've you've been in the industry, man, you you are greatness. I mean, uh, over fifty you know feature length you know movies. Um, you know what 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 are you looking to do? With your catalog, I know we're getting ready to, you know, your book is coming out uh, and Neil's going to jump into that. But what are you looking to do with this phenomenal catalog, Jared? Yeah, I'm just going to turn these, the sound, sounds up. 
but yeah, that is, you know, to, to, to think about it overall as what am I going to leave this sort of world when I, you know, when I die and if they look at my films that I made and, 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 you know, read the book and, you know, the message is, I mean, the, at first, I thought I was trying to write a, something very inspirational, motivational, and it is that I believe the I believe that's sort of what that's about. But it's almost become like a little bit of a cautionary tale mm-hmm. of, of my life. Just you know, and, and it, there is so much going on, and and I deal with you know mental health stuff, and I talk about it, anxiety, depression, uh, you know, just from when you're grinding and grinding for year after year, and just, seemingly getting nowhere that takes its toll um and then and then on top of that you're just it's, it's so difficult you, you of course you want to make we want to make great as filmmakers you want to make a great story that inspires people like all this and then all of a sudden you know like and you're writing that script you're writing that script and then you get offered a movie about a killer you know crocodile and, wow. and, and and it's like well you, you can either do that movie you know you want to be a fit you call yourself a filmmaker are you gonna right. like, so I've right. and, I, and I'm not and look and, and and again I want to be clear I'm not talking crap about some of the you know any of the movies I've done but if you look at my the my IMDb it's a lot of them you know there's a lot of creature features and horror and right. killer you know right. vampires like but that all you know I you know I'm not ashamed of that I own it I you know I, I that's everything that made me who i am but you know i do i don't want to i don't want to just leave that like if i died right now i would be like ah fuck uh you know like i i didn't make that one movie that 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 has longevity and is quotable and people are just you know Mm. uh uh so i think i think i'm still very much in the trenches you know of the battle uh and and i and yes it's, it's kind of yeah i'm I'm a foot soldier. Gotcha. Okay. I, I love it. So let's talk about the book now. Tell me about why you wrote the book. Yeah. So, well, there it is. 50 movies made. Uh, I mean, I wrote this, this, this book because, you know, around movie, I don't know, 40 something. I was, and I, I mean, I was just been going, I was just going back to back to back to back to back. Like I was doing an insane amount of movies literally in i think i was at one point i was i was like editing two or three and in development like about to shoot two or three wow. and then shooting went on set <clears throat> so it's just been um there's so much you know so around around movie from 40 something i started to say, yeah I, I directed about 50 movies i made about 50 movies made and and i, I started using that term 50 movies made and went, you know eventually and i was mm-hmm. like wow holy shit I, did i really direct 50 movies like i'm like mm. almost baffled to myself and it's, it's like okay well like that's it, a good title like 50 movies made i thought uh you know and then and i'm always interested in reading i love reading books about people in hollywood and old hollywood actors directors that that's like i, I love those stories so i i just started all all these things started came together like that title and i was like all right well if i did write a book that would be the title. What would that look like? And, and so that's kind of how it began. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm glad I wrote it. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, you know, sell a ton or, or do this and that. But but it was really good for me 
just sort of you know tell these right you know, all these stories and and, and and try to you know give some caution and not, I don't want to say cautionary tales to uh, aspiring actors, filmmakers, directors, writers, mm-hmm. all those people. Uh, but I think they should really, I, I think it would be good for someone who's like 18 and is like, yeah, I'm going to go to Hollywood and in a year be, <laughs> you know, a major star or whatever. Like the reality, there's a lot of reality checking going on unintentionally, you know, not like. I mean, because it's a different gimmick now. You got to have a following already to be in Hollywood. You already got to have a social media. You might as well create your brand somewhere else and then come there. Create your own films. It wasn't the way of film school and all the ways like you did it. It's a totally different game now. And the book tells you that because now they're going to say, how many followers do you have? How are you going to bring audience to this film? They're not going to, the produce, the the people distributing are not going to do any of the work anymore. That's the changes. It's all about creating your own brand and then coming to Hollywood. What is your thoughts on this writer strike? What this I, is? Uh, yeah, but I, I'll, I, I'll, 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 let me jump into writer strike. But I just want to agree with you uh, so much about about because I've been in I've literally been in rooms and they're talking about casting and they're like, well, how many followers do they have or or, or who is this person and they're like, just the silliest things are like. <clears throat> Oh man, this person's a great actor. We should cast them. They're like, yeah, but look, we owe a favor to so and so, and you know this is the only role that their daughter could play. So it's like, oh, okay, well, we gotta, of course, do that. They're putting you know half the budget in. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's my thought. That's my thoughts on yeah, it's it's really like that. Um, wow. But the writer strike, man, you know, I'm 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 torn because you know I want them to be compensated it's man, such a hard job writing it yeah. and i as a writer myself like i, I and, and i would not just be able to write i mean i write and i direct i produce da, 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 and the writing is just a, a piece of it but if i was every day just on my on my laptop and that was all i had you know relied on and i get it man like yeah that's hard work like Hitting keys with your fingers, like, yeah, and staring at a, a screen is really hard. So, of course, you know they should be compensated. But I mean, the whole thing of like, an, all right, the industry is going to shut down. No, everyone else is going to be out of work. Because uh, you're, I mean, you're affecting uh, all the crew people that work on these TV shows. You know, right. I mean, are they getting paid? Like. Are they- it's really tough because the thing with AI is the reason they're striking and it has to do with chat GBT and different things like that. Cause now writers have to figure out how are we going to be protected from people taking our work, using a, a specific script, throwing it in chat GBT and they create a new script. How are they going to be protected as writers to get paid? It's a really a situation where the people who are funding the film, all these different things are allowing the creatives to get out of it. So that's the problem. And Jared, I don't want to get into politics on this because AI is here to stay. You, oh, either, yeah. you either got to live with AI or not live with AI and, and, and lose your job that you have to rebrand yourself. Just like actors, 10 years ago, I was telling actors, well, how many followers you have? Oh, it doesn't matter. It sure as heck matters now. How many people can you bring to the film? So everything that people say, hey, I'm going to wait to do, do it now. 
Uh, where is the best place people can purchase the book and stuff, Jared? Where can they go? Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Amazon, Amazon, uh, com, you know, uh, or Amazon, I know, dot UK, whatever, every country has the same, but yeah, yeah, Amazon, 50 movies made. Hopefully, it'll pop up. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, it, in addition to the writers, directors, and filmmakers. <clears throat> People have told me that, like, wow, this is this is also a good story, you know, as a book. Um, so I do want to say that that you know, people, it's not technical, like, oh, I'm on the 50 millimeter. Right. You're really just in. entertaining people. You know how. Yeah, to it, it's not a it's not a technical how to book. Right. So people are like, just want to read like what goes on while right. making movie behind the scenes. There's it's it's, right. it's readable. Like, you have any other projects, new movies coming out? I got a movie coming out May nineteenth, which is is that tomorrow? Today. <laughs> That's today. Oh, that fucking today. Oh, <laughs> what is it? Oh, wow. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, are, called, that, that's what I was what saying. What movie's coming out today, Jared? The the get back on two B. Uh -huh. And I think I think if you get click on two B, uh it should hopefully be right on the front page i guess if it comes out if it came out today i, I i'd imagine it's very much that's on awesome. the front page but that's yeah, great yeah yeah thank yeah i just appreciate it, jared thanks man thank you all thank right you. you're listening watching the neil haley show and we'll be back in just a moment. hi everyone and welcome to the special simulcast of the neil haley show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with greg hannah greg what's going on man how are you i am beside myself with excitement because we're going to talk to one of my absolute favorite actors ever flash gordon Absolutely. So again, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon. Sam, when we talked the last time, welcome to the show. When we talked the last time, you know what blew me away was ultimately how of a humble man you are. But really, I wish I could have had about 52 stories of watching Flash Gordon because I literally watched it maybe 20 or 25 times the movie. And there's not many movies in my life that I watched that many times. Why do you think so many people watch your movie over and over again? Well, first of all, guys, thank you for having me. Well, I think the question is, yes, it's a great point. It's why is Flash Gordon still relevant? I mean, you know, we, we filmed this 40, what is it, 43 years ago, came out 42 years ago. I think he's relevant, uh, uh, relevant because he's just a guy. So the world, every, every uh, man, woman, and child that uh, – They'll look at this character, Flash Gordon, and go, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh, these challenges. He's faced with adversity. Oh, he's vulnerable. How's he going to do it? He has no superpowers. And then he has six. He, you know, he comes in. He helps. Uh, he helps. In he defends innocence. He neutralizes the threat and or brings him to justice. So I think they say, well, wait a minute. He's doing this. He's just a guy. He has no superpowers. If he can do that, then by golly, I can do it, too. And I think that's why it's relevant. And I think that's the message. And yes. <laughs> totally love that. I mean, it's like, just like you said, it's like the underdog winning. And that just makes everybody feel great. You know, one of the favorite ones I loved, you know, later James Bond that you had fought James Bond, you know, Timothy Dalton, you know, <laughs> as a, as the prince. And uh, that was an amazing fight, you know, with, with the tilting, you know, little platter that you guys were on yeah. and, what was that scene like doing that? I mean, how do they do that? It looks like it was real, but I mean, you just standing in a green screen, or how, how do they do that? No, we, we we had blue screen back then, but there was there was really no nearly, no that was all that was a 
that was the battle disc. It was a rotating disc. And when it was elevated in its highest elevation, I think it was about 25 feet. Wow. So what you saw when the camera looked down, you saw infinity space. Um, but we had just a bunch of stacked boxes. And when we fell, we fell quite a bit. We fell onto these stacked boxes, which was quite funny, but it actually worked. Remember, <laughs> we're going back to 1979. Uh, but yeah, we had three technicians. We had uh, two operating the um, the spikes, two different sections of spikes. And then, of course, we had the other technician operating the tilt of the of the battle disc. So yeah. it, it wasn't so much that we, I mean, we, we rehearsed it for weeks, but uh, if we had rolled and tumbled onto the spikes, of course, we wouldn't have been hurt because they were actually, it was an ingenious idea. It was um, bicycle pumps that they used for the shaft, yeah. you know, hollow bicycle pumps, uh, this metal and the, the tips of the spikes were a hard rubber. So if we had rolled on it, then we'd have to stop production and repair it. So, yeah. but Timothy was great. You know, James Bond, he wasn't James Bond then, of course. Nope. We, we, we had that great chemistry and camaraderie and conflict of, you know, being representing um, England and he, and then of course me representing America. So, so we brought uh, a lot of that history, good history into it and uh, just had a lot of fun. No, that was great. It de definitely does. And I said I have so many favorite scenes of the movie, but what about for the time you shot it and how Greg and I love it so much? You said the ordinary, that you did it, you were able to do it, uh, Sam, just out of nowhere, meaning that you were just a guy. I think that's one reason, but I also think that science fiction at that time and just the different things and how you were able to save the world and how you had so many challenges to try to save that world, right? There's so many, you just did it. Kind of like how we had to get on Zoom right now. There was complications, but you saved it. You saved yourself. Yeah. That's the character, Flash Gordon. And I think that yeah. he is the only superhero I've ever, heard, I guess, have dealt with that really had no superpowers and yet could be able to save the world. The athlete, the football star, and how he thought he could conquer everything. And he had to figure everything out and had to ask for other people's help. It wasn't just, and that's the other part of a suit being a leader. Leadership is what Flash Gordon is as well. How he was able to become a leader to save the world. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. I, I just think it came down to, of course, it, he. I got the part also because there was a naivete um, uh, about Sam J. Jones in his in that those years, twenty-two years old, twenty-three, and of course for Flash Gordon. And when it came to somebody in trouble, you know, even Sam J. Jones or Flash Gordon, we don't call board meetings. If there's if somebody's getting attacked right now, we don't call the board meeting and call in advisors. We, we you know, unless we have time to plan. Usually Flash Gordon didn't have a whole lot of time to plan. So we just uh, reacted. We, so his character just reacted. And I think that's the other message he sends. If it's if something is happening right now, uh, and there's no time to plan, you you gotta you gotta go with your your best instincts. And usually, the best instincts is common sense, practical thinking. That's it. 
And if you have the time to plan, you call in your advisors and you seek counsel on any issue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, be flexible, adapt and overcome. I mean, I think those are the traits of any person who's uh, getting through life well or an entrepreneur, business owner, a leader, yourself, an author. Uh, I, I see you as an entrepreneur as well. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah, certainly with your with your new uh, comic book or, you know, what do they call them? Graphic novels now? I'm not sure well, what yeah, to call it. But... And, and, yeah, thanks. I'm so excited. We we I collaborated with uh, Rob Archie, writer uh, and artist, and, and then, of course, Joe Archie as well. And uh, this is my first comic book, uh, a.k.a. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a graphic novel. So what's the simple definition of a graphic novel? This is a 54-page comic book, guys. And the title is called Sam J. Jones Saves the Galaxy. Okay, which I love, you know, I absolutely love. So, I mean, and what we do, we talked to the fans before we we did 